The teacher looks at a classroom and he shows a $20 bill. And he goes, who wants it? And so everyone in the class says, I want a $20 bill. Drops it on the floor and now it's on the floor. And he goes, who wants it? And you still have the class saying, I want it. And then he steps on it. And then who wants the $20 bill now? And everyone says, I still kind of want it, right? And then he picks it up from the floor after having stepped on it. And then he crumbles it in his hand. And then he says, who wants it? And still everyone says, I'm okay to have it. And then that professor says, see, all of you want it because whether it's a brand new bill or a crumpled bill or a bill on the floor, it's still worth $20. And said, so the lesson that I would like you to remember from it is that whatever happens, your work will not change. And the reason why I'm saying that story is I think it's the same thing for founders. If a company stops, their worth has not changed. Their net worth may have, but their worthiness has not changed. And if anything, I think that their worthiness has increased because they have dared to be bold and do something that other people have not done. Hello, I'm Samia Ariane. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Impeak. Joining me today is Janos Barberis, known for his work on the Supercharger Ventures, an edtech accelerator and founders taboo focusing on founders' mental health. Prior to his work on edtech and founders' mental health, Janos came from a rich background in fintech. I first came across his insights on LinkedIn, and when we spoke, I felt that there was something special and authentic about his energy and perspective. I loved his candidness about his own mental health challenges and the tools and techniques that he developed in his own journey, which he now shares with the world. The pace of this conversation may be a little slower than my usual podcast, but there's a good reason for it, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So, Janis, why don't you start by telling everybody a little bit about your background and tell me a little bit about your background and, um, you know, who you are. I know that you're building an, a, a very interesting accelerator, an edtech accelerator. So tell me a little bit about your background, what made you want to do this, and then we will take it from there. Sure. So um, thanks a lot for having me as well. Um, so my background is... I've always been in entrepreneurship since I came out of university, so for almost 10 years now. Um, the first venture I did was building a bank in the UK back in 2015. Um, then I decided to build a fintech accelerator in Hong Kong in Asia. This was the first version of Supercharged Ventures. Uh, very successful, 49 companies, uh, three unicorns, um, good timing, good market, good team, uh, good execution. Uh, then I had to stop for health uh, reason, physical and mental. Uh, therefore, that closed down the company. Uh, and after this, after a period of a break and working for other founders, I decided to rebuild Supercharger this time around with two co-founders. And this time, instead of FinTech, we focused only on EdTech. Um, so between version one and version two, uh, there's a change in vertical focus, FinTech to EdTech. But also there is a much bigger emphasis on founder well-being and mental health. Uh, for the sake of the accelerator, I think that it's good to support all founders uh, for personal motivations, uh, but also finally um, for investors. We And I think that healthier founders generate healthier return. Um, and therefore, we want to be able to pilot that initiative first through our accelerator and then through the broader ecosystem. So you said a little bit of uh, you had a break because of your uh, health reasons, or uh, both mental and physical. Um, was that the reason why you started thinking more about mental health for um, 
for founders is is that kind of like the start of where you start thinking about that so i think it's it's a combination of both um so the personal lived experience certainly was and still is in certain ways a pain um i'm still not fully recovered from it so personally i'm trying to find my own solution um but i see that founders well-being founders mental health is is quite complicated to find the right approach so therefore, a founder being a founder, I built something that allows us to find that. And that's the community marketplace, um, a network of coaches that we've built through Founders Taboo. So part of it is a personal lived experience. Part of it is also an observation of the ecosystem, which when you build an, an accelerator, you particularly privy to because you, you see on a regular basis founders. And unlike a VC, you see those founders almost on a daily basis for a period of three months. So they became quite genuine and quite transparent. And so it's very hard to pretend every single day for three months. It's okay to pretend with an investor every quarter when you meet them for an hour on a call or in person. But every single day, that's very difficult. Yeah, that's right. So when you think about the reasons for founder well-being suffering um in your experience is it always a case where the founder well-being um, faces some uh some some struggles when things are not going well in the business or or is it unrelated uh, so are there cases where things are going well in the business in the right direction but but people still struggle or is it generally more correlated with things not working out quite so well so the, the it, it's it's both or neither it depends on because you know again the founder well-being is it is a complex topic in the sense that it's unique to everyone and then depending on your stage as a founder your difficulty may change but there are actually two elements which is is it a consequence or a precondition of entrepreneurship sometime uh, for certain entrepreneurs certain mental difficulty and challenges um it can be as severe for example as bipolar adhd but it can be as light as you know self-worth issue and attachment problem will make you become a founder um, the creativity that you can have with bipolar or the multitasking that you can have with adhd makes you a misfit in a traditional corporate environment but therefore the company you build can be created around your odd shape, right? Um, so that's a precondition. Or I give you an example. There's an expression that typically investors talk about, which is, um, but that founder has a chip on his shoulder or her shoulder. So he or she has something to prove and demonstrate. And that demonstration or that fight or that fire makes them build that, right? So that's a precondition towards entrepreneurship. And then you have a consequence of entrepreneurship. I think that some of the unique, acute, high pressure, temporary or constant stress that you have as a founder can worsen pre-existing -con pre condition or trigger certain conditions. So if I take my example, actually, I think I was very physically exhausted building the first version of Supercharger, but I was mentally fine. I mean, exhausted, but mentally fine. But then when I stopped the company, then 
a real period of self-doubt happened, which is me identifying as a company was, but what am I now? And that's when I think a lot of the mental struggle that I had started to unlock and reveal themselves. Uh, and now I'm dealing with them. So I think everyone has their reckoning of their issue differently. Now we know the statistics. So 70% of founders, 70, 70 are self-reporting uh, a mental health issue, which for people listening, it doesn't have to be all as serious as bipolar and ADHD. It can be also anxiety, right? Anxiety is uh, a problem. So that ranges um, and that's fairly universal. But the way it reflects itself and manifests itself is very founder specific. So, so much of what you say here, I have um, personal experience with and and um i i relate to um so i've never been through an accelerator um you know i i just went out and raised some uh, funds from a number of uh, angels initially and most of those angels they lit literally after they paid the money they just sort of disappeared so and i never see them again so how important do you think it is for investors in general to stay connected uh, with the founders um and uh, and i guess um in in many cases it may not be always practical because there's like people have got their own lives and they, their own problems you know so so it's like in many cases they might think okay now i'm putting in my money now i have to also babysit as well so so what do you what's your thoughts on um, uh, you know, how how much involvement you think is helpful from, from investors? So so we said the number, right? So 70% of founders have a self-reported uh, mental health issue. Uh, and you're correct, which is the precondition is much more present than the consequence. But so 70% of founders have a self-reported issue. Uh, only 10% of founders are willing to talk to their investors about what they're experiencing. So I think that the the ignorance of investors towards the mental state of their investment is comes from both sides. Um, I think it comes from the lack of courage of a founder to talk about it and from the lack of interest for an investor to ask. So to your point, well, I've already put cash, so I'm not going to be doing babysitting. It's a fair point. And also because I think that it is difficult to to talk and have the right word with someone that is in burnout and is rejecting any type of help. Um, I, myself, when I had difficulty, I had a partner that I wasn't able to fully listen to uh, because I was not ready to listen. So that's one element. So the point that you're making, which is, should investor be the babysitter or the confidant on those topics? I don't think that they should, but I think that they should open the door that they could. Um, and then it is a bit like everything, like even a relationship, it's a two-way thing. So I'm happy to date you. Do you want to join me? So you as a founder, it then for you to say, I believe that that investor has put in place the right psychological safety around me sharing what I have. Because you need an investor that is quite mature because what do you do when the decision that needs to be made is good for the founder's mental health, but bad for the business 
since you invested. So that's where you need someone that has the maturity, et cetera. And then the way I would look at it, which is, I think as an investor, you make money over years of relationship, not necessarily years of investing. Um, and if the positive outcome for that specific founder saying, look, stop, you cannot do it anymore. The company, it is what it is. Next one will do better. I think then the founder will come back to you and take your money and then you'll be able to hopefully perhaps recover it. But I think that's a challenging element for an investor is if you're an investor and you're actively saying that you're willing to support, aside of the fact that whether or not the founder believes that you're okay, it's in your role, you may have a strong conflict personal between what is good for the founder may not necessarily good for the business, um, especially if it's a crisis. I think if it's a crisis, sometimes a burnout requires stopping to work, period. I think it's if it's on the education side and on the prevention side, I think that there's much less that tension between you know, what is good for the founder is bad for the business. I think if it's on the prevention side and sufficiently ahead of time, you can prepare that, then I do believe that healthier founder means healthier return and better businesses. Let's talk a little bit about the article that you wrote. Um, so you wrote this article that did really well. Um, if you were to kind of um, condense it in a, in a couple of minutes, can you tell mm -hmm. me what it was about and why do you think it resonated so well on uh, LinkedIn and, and um, the professional circles where you distributed it? I think the reason why the article resonated well is because it, it was genuine. So it, it was... It was something that I have personally experienced and that came came across quite strongly. Um, so I think that's the first element, which is it was a real story. It was not a hypothetical. And then therefore it goes into the relatability. So I think that even though mental difficulty of founders and stresses and stressors are unique to each, they are universal for universal across founders. We all have problems, but those problems are different, but we are all have problems. So if you now combine a genuine real story with something that has universally happened to founders, you start creating relatability. But that's the awareness piece. Okay, so there is a problem. Other people have that problem. But founders are outcome focused. So what? And that was the second part of the talk, which is, well, so what? Let's get help. Let's get coaches. Let's get therapists. But that's an expense, right? So that's not growth-oriented. It's, it's going to cost me 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 300 bucks. But so what if we could make money from him making founders healthier? And that's good for the founder because we're growth-oriented. And that's good for the investor because they're profit-driven. And here, the so what started to be worthy and worthwhile, worthwhile to listen and worthy if it's correct. So I think that's the reason why, um, you know, it was well received. When you think about, you know, how investors typically tend to, to look at these things, mm -hmm. a lot of times they are more willing to um spend their money on the next new thing rather than saving or, or helping uh, an existing founder that is struggling. 
That's mm -hmm. at least been my observation. Um, what would you do if you were an investor in that case? Do you think it's better to go back and help um, a founder that maybe has failed or, or is struggling? Um, or would you put your money into a new endeavor and a new founder typically? So I think that's kind of the talk that I was mentioning to you, which is, you know, I think second, third time found, it depends where and when you invested. Second, third time founders are better investment than first time founder, statistically. Now, is it because self-discovery, understand yourself, perhaps and most likely? So then you have the thing, which is, okay, so let's say you invested in a first time founder, things are not going well. What should you do? I think you should really consider investing in that first time founder who becomes second time founder because he or she may have therefore learned their lessons and mistakes. Um, but same applies for second time founder. I think that your win will average out if you keep playing the game long enough. And that's true for founders because you need to stay in the game and keep building until you find a market fit. But that's also true for investors. However, founders have a finite health and time and investors have finite money. So there's only so long that you can play the game because you know, there's only so much energy you'll have or there's so much cash that you can deploy. Um, but that's where you need to pace yourself, right? Investing in startup is a marathon, just like building a company is. Um, and therefore, I think that, yes, you should be ready as an investor not to make a single investment to think that you can hit the lottery, you won't. Um, the odds are against you, uh, even as an investor. Um, but therefore, when you set that journey of investment, you should be willing to support many founders or the same founders a few times, provided that it fits the thesis and the vision that you are aligned with. When I think about my own journey, and um, you probably share the same, uh, and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the, typically what I experience is that there are moments where you think, okay, you've, you've reached a level of success. You see certain things are falling in place and, and everything looks like in the right direction. But then there are moments where you think, okay, when you think like how far more you need to go and how far you still are from that, it, it feels like you have failed. And like, honestly, in, in a day, uh, there are times where I would think like maybe 10 times that day, I would think, you know, I succeeded and 10 times that day I might think, you know, or the next day I might think I've, I failed. And, um, and it's like, it's two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's a song by an artist, by a British artist called Ren that I highly recommend everybody go and check. The song is called Hi Ren. And basically it's the two sides of this artist talking to each other. Um, but there's like the devil, you know, saying like you you don't amount to anything, you're 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 nothing, you're you haven't succeeded. And then there's like the angel side of him, he's, which is like, yeah, I have, and and uh, I'm on the right uh, track, and and I'm a genius, and all that stuff. And this is, um, I think this is like something that it's like the typical story of a founder, and where you succeed um, is if you can keep yourself balanced between these two. So that you can have this sense of not not uh, not getting too ahead of yourself, um, still being critical, but at the same time also acknowledging mm -hmm. that uh, your you know your successes. 
Um, so I wondered if you could talk a little bit to that and and this um, constant battle between, you know, it, it feels like you're taking one step ahead, two step back, and how um, people you think should manage that. So, you know, the, the, the taking a step back is difficult for a founder because you so much want to be driven by what's ahead of you, right? You, you think of tomorrow, you don't think of yesterday. And, and it's because you can think and you can or you is because you can think and that you think that you seek through more so clearly that you're willing to take all those risks. So taking a step back kind of goes against your 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 nature and your instinct. And again, founders are are diverse, and I, I think that if you're in a crisis, yes, you need to take a step back because I you cannot make decision the right decision. Sorry. I shouldn't be so absolute. It's not that you cannot make the right decision in a crisis. It's difficult to make decision in crisis. And therefore, it's important to take a step back uh, just to stop and think. But if you're not in a crisis, you don't need to take a step back to move forward. You just need to slow your pace to last long on the journey, right? So again, I think that there's a big difference between founders which are preparing their mental resilience and their mental fitness. And here, there's no need to take a step back. Is it becomes part of your routine. And then you have the founders which are too past the pain, the difficulty and the challenge, and here they need to step, take a step back. But that's why I'm just saying is it's not as easy cut. Um, but in general, if I look at my own experience, whenever I decided to take a step back was always the right decision. When I was forced to step back, because if you burn out and you suddenly snap and you can't do anything, then it's not a question of decision. It's It just so happens, right? When you think of triggers, can you tell yeah. me a little bit about what are some of the typical triggers that seem to worsen founder mental health and fitness? What are, what are some of the things that usually cause um, you know, some kind of uh, breakdown in, in your experience from where you stand you stand and, and, and uh, talking to so many founders? I don't know. I, I think that the, the triggers are, are diverse and, you know, it can be a co-founder difficulty. It can be a, a contract that didn't go through. It can be an investor that puts you the wrong way. It can be a deal that you lost. It could be a change of vision that doesn't think, right? Yeah, so so it's typically something not going right, right? Either it's it's like a team breakdown of communication and and something not working out. It, it basically is like some kind of obstacle that is holding you back. When I think about the way that VCs think of success, and, and then of course by extension their LPs think of success okay. of of a startup. It seems like there's like this formulaic thinking that's like a, it's like a formula that you hit mm -hmm. certain targets and and typically those uh, types of targets are expected from pretty much every startup. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's like you, uh, you know, people often talk about the hockey, ho hockey stick, you know, way of growth. So it, it ultimately it all comes down to growth and money and like, you know, revenue. That's from, from at least from the investor side, that's what I see. Um, mm -hmm. From the founder side, most founders think in terms of you know, solving a problem and then solving a problem doesn't necessarily always equate um, with a 
linear or, or you know specific kind of format of generating revenue it doesn't always fit that formula so there's a mismatch between what the investors are looking for and what the founders are pursuing and that's where i see a lot of times disagreements come up and then that's where a lot of times the founders feel like okay this is not working in that case maybe the investors give up and stop communication because ultimately the investors know that this was a risk that they took when they invested so they give up and the founder runs out of money and that's where things break down where do you think the founder needs to be seeing the signs you know to uh, to start doing something about it and mitigating it that's the first question and then if even if they see the sign what do they need to know what do they need to do to be able to actually take action you know to to have to actually the stamina to get through it i see what you're saying but i do disagree if i take investors that have more than one investment they were you know worst comes worst you're writing off a portfolio you're writing off a line right so they're not overexposed to their company to the startup a founder is 100% exposed to their their company an investor losing an investment is totally different from an investor losing a, a founder losing a startup and that becomes even more true the larger the fund with the more portfolio company we tend to say in investment that you you make all your money on the back of one investment, right? So you cover nine losses out of one. So you're fine. But if you are one of those nine companies, one if you are one of those nine founders, you lost everything. So that's your exposure towards the write-off and the risk, which I think is different. It's not the same. And I think that whilst good investors understand that they can lose money, I think that founders don't expect that they will lose their startup. Otherwise, they wouldn't have started in the first place. And that's perhaps the mistake of founders which don't have that maturity yet, which is, you know, it's a job and you may get fired. I.e., company may fail, but don't take it too personally, which is difficult. So I think that's on that answers that point. What were the two other points that you had? When is the point where the founder needs to see the signs? that things are going wrong and they need to do something about it. Um, so look, it's, it's, it's complicated, um, like everything in life. But I think when, when you wake up every single morning and you feel absolutely beaten up to death, even though you did sleep seven, nine hours, I think that when you become highly irritable and anything triggers you, I think when you see darkness more often that you see hope, when you don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, even though it was your choice in the first place. I think those are some of the tell signs. And what you surprise yourself is how long you can go, even though with the symptoms going on. I mean, I went on for a year and a half, every single morning waking up. I literally had the feeling that I was, like the way I was describing how I was waking up in the morning is, if I had put been put on a, on a, on a in a washing machine, a tumbler, Every single part of my body was hurting when I woke up in the morning, just like if I had been beaten up. And I, I did this for a year and a half. For a year and a half, I went to work wanting to throw up. A year and a half, right? Five hundred, more than five hundred days. So it, it's surprising how resilient you can be. So what I'm getting at is, yeah, it's symptoms, but you know, it's it's not like tell signs like, oh yeah, it's there and you stop. No, no, it can go on for another four hundred ninety nine days. 
And tell me, tell me more about that experience. So what did you do? So what happened after that 500 days? In my case, I, I mean, I suddenly became hospitalized. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was binary. And then that hospitalization led me from closing the company and being nine months out of the, in a hospital. So I didn't manage to mitigate ahead of time. So you actually were in the hospital for several months? Yeah. I can't imagine what that may have felt like. Did you have co-founders? Uh, I didn't. And that's one of the reasons why for the second time around, I decided to have co-founders. So talk to me a little bit about that, because I know that a lot of investors don't invest in sole founders. So um, do you think that having a co-founder on the whole is better or worse? It's um, So statistically, you know that co- business led with co-founders are more successful. Things like everything. You can have an incredible marriage and you can have the worst partner you like. You know, it's it's you you it is very difficult. Um, but I do think that even in difficulty and even in a complex relationship, even if you share not to think that someone else will tell you the solution, but just share to say it out loud and vent, that in itself has value. Um, so you know, even but even a difficult co-founder relationship has benefits it's better um, than not having it you think i don't know if it's better than not having it but um a bit like everything i don't think everything is so black and white there is silver lining and everything even complex co-founder relationships uh even complex relationships yeah so i, I don't think it's so so i don't think there's such a thing as saying you know is it better to have co-founder not co-founder or are you better off with just by yourself of, or having a bad co-founder relationship. I think it's much more granular. Let's talk a little bit now about once you start seeing those signs, you know, mm-hmm. like in if you think of like early days, like you said that you went on for about a year and a half mm-hmm. um, with that experience that you were going through. Do you think that, for example, if you caught it earlier, would you have been able to to stop it? To mitigate it because in my experience you know I've, I've never had it to the degree that you know that uh, I've, I've been out of action for that long but the many times when I've gone very close to it flirted with it you know to a point that you know maybe I've had like a couple of days of I felt like I was gonna fall that cliff but I've managed to bring myself out of it you know through meditation definitely a lot of exercise that that sort of thing helps you know and and putting yourself in a place where you're meeting the right people um so so not trying to make sure that you're not as isolated um but it is tough and uh, and and it's definitely i feel like when you get close to the cliff there is a point beyond beyond which that you almost can't really get yourself out of it so that's why it's so important to not get too close to that cliff so in your experience do you think like there would have been a chance that maybe in those early days what could have helped you so i'm just thinking a lot of people listening to this that may be in that position that are you know really struggling getting they feel like they're getting close to that cliff yeah what can they do to to bring themselves out of it and and not allow that cliff I don't know if at the time I would, you know, it's, it's it's a question that people have asked me and I think I am who I am because of the mistake I've made, including some very serious mistakes. I mean, you know, it, 
my hospitalization was a one in four chance of dying, right? One in four. Easy to say now for me, you know, it's okay. I can make those mistakes. I mean, clearly it was not fatal. But but the reason why I'm saying this is because it's not that I knew, it's not that I was totally blind of how difficult it was for me for a year and a half. No, I, I knew it and I was visualizing it in the sense that I almost felt like, you know, I always tend to say it's like the um, the needle of an engine that goes towards the red and I could see where the red was and I was keep on going towards red and then coming back and then touching it. and But then at one point it snapped, right? So I don't know if I could have or should I have done it differently. Now, going forward, I know what I don't want anymore. You know, fool me once, shame on you, know, shame on you. fool me twice, shame on me. Shame on me if I do it again. Um, and therefore, what I try to do is I try to put myself in an environment with a routine and a regime that allows me to take care of myself. Now, I'm still no saint. Like the last two weeks since recording this podcast, I think I've thrown off all the good resolution that I have taken in the last year because things are just difficult. And the only things I know when things are difficult is bulldozing it through that's almost like default mode and i know i'm making a mistake but i think that my path to recover as a founder and ultimately be a better founder be a flourishing founder will take 10 years and i'm okay with that so that's the way i look at it i've learned that it takes time to recover and i cannot force the speed at which it, it comes um, I can influence it, but I cannot force it. That's right. So as a final question, um, can you talk a little bit about the routine that you said you created for yourself that it, that is helping in general? I know that, you know, it's never like you create a routine and then you're like cured of all things and, and everything goes well. It's, it's always a bit of up and down, but um, in general, you've managed to bring yourself out of one of the darkest moments of your life um, that you experienced. So, so tell me a little bit about that routine. If other people are listening to this and thinking, you know, how can I take something away from that and learn from it? What would be the thing that you would say to them? It's kind of funny because I, I used to make fun of people saying, you know, sleep, sleep a lot, recover. It used to be, you know, I used to think that I was a superhero and I needed super cool stuff, but no, th those eight, nine hours of sleep are important. I think that a healthy diet are important. And I know for some of the people that will listen to me, stop saying stupid stuff like, come on, sleep, rest and recovery. Come on, like I, I need, you know, x-rays and like I need technology and no it's it's actually very basic um so i think that's and, and that's the good thing is that's something that you control if you don't have money because coaches are are expensive and therapists are expensive if you even find one that is actually proper but you sleeping those eight hours is up to you you adjusting your diet is up to you you taking a rest in your day is up to you and and i know it sounds so captain obvious and I, I'm convinced that if I was to hear myself, if the Janos of 10 years ago would hear the Janos now, I would laugh at him. I was like, what an idiot. But now I believe that this is true. And, and see, so that's important. 
team, 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 and team. Um, surround yourself with people that understand your your problems. It's not that you need to tell your team what you suffer from, but hire the people that won't make you suffer more by doing what you're bad at. And that can be your anxieties, your lack of focus, et cetera, et cetera. Create a safe space so that when you're in a crisis, you can talk without shouting. Um, that could be your investor, it could be a family member, it could be a team member, it could be a friend. Don't identify yourself as your company. Uh, you are not your company. You're, you are a founder and it's an administrative title of you having founded the company. But your worth is not your company's worth. Companies close down, founders don't. There was recently a, an inspirational video which again, Janos 10 years ago, if I would have seen this on Instagram, I would say like, you know, it's kind of like those influencer thing. But here, here's how the video goes. It's a teacher that looks at a classroom and he shows a $20 bill. He takes it out of his wallet and it's a brand new crisp $20 bill. And he goes, who wants it? And so everyone in the class says, I want a $20 bill. He said, okay and drops it on the floor and now it's on the floor and he goes who wants it and you still have the class saying i want and then he steps on it and then who wants the 20 dollar bill now and everyone says i still kind of want it right and then he picks it up from the floor after having stepped on it and then he crumbles it in his hand and makes a ball out of it that looks like nothing and then he says who wants it and still everyone says i'm okay to have it and then that professor says See, all of you want it because whether it's a brand new bill or a crumpled bill or a bill on the floor, it's still worth $20. And so the lesson that I would like you to remember from it is that whatever happens, whatever you're on the floor, whatever you're tired, your worth will not change. And never make yourself feel worthless and just remember yourself that you like that $20 bill. And the reason why I'm saying that story is I think it's the same thing for founders. If a company stops, their worth has not changed. Their net worth may have because they don't have the equity anymore in their company, but their worthiness has not changed. And if anything, I think that their worthiness has increased because they have dared to be bold and do something that other people have not done. Right? And their worthiness has increased because now they have the experience of failure, which makes them more mature and understand it more. So, yeah, um, I think that's a very important takeaway is not identifying yourself to the success of your company. Yeah, definitely. That that helps a lot if you if you think of yourself uh, in that way. It definitely helps to you know separate yourself and, and, and distance yourself from your company. It's very hard to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but definitely that's the the right way to think about it. Definitely. Well Jonas thank you for for you know, sharing your experience, your wisdom. This was a great conversation. I know that it was like not the most, um, you know, upbeat, <laughs> yeah, because we are talking about something quite difficult. And but I think a lot of people will listen to it and um, relate. Mm -hmm. It's basically just, um, you know, the the daily experience of a lot of founders. Maybe as a as a final final point, can you tell me why? Uh, this is just mainly out of my own interest. What made you decide to change industry? You said that in in the beginning you were focusing on fintech and building an accelerator. 
in in that space and then after your break you came back and you went into ed tech did that have anything to do with your experience or or was it like you felt that this no it's because um i correctly predicted i tend to be good with timing so i correctly predicted that if we had entered fintech three years ago we would have entered on the top of the market and valuation would have been much more expensive or cost to re-enter the market as a fintech accelerator even though with a brand track record which have been much more expensive so it was cheaper faster and safer for us to enter in the edtech vertical as opposed to fintech super interesting okay um well what would you like people to do when they uh, listen to this episode do you want them to follow you on Look, LinkedIn? Uh, maybe the best is, yeah. is for them to register on founders taboo the website um we have a registration form we'll get back to you uh, we check it on a rolling basis feel free to connect on linkedin but mainly to to get updates on what i do i i do check it but i'm much less regular i think that you really your safest bet is go on the website register there we have a team that looks at the profile registering if the founders will get back to you uh, and then, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there to be able to support you. So that's that's what I would suppose suggest. That's great. And we will also uh, list you on our uh, website. We are um, creating a, an accelerator directory. So we will put that. that I appreciate it. Yeah, we'll do that as well. Well, okay. thank you so much, Jonas. I really appreciate your time. Super. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Janos Barberes. Be sure to follow him on LinkedIn so that you don't miss his valuable insights. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel on YouTube or wherever you get your audio podcasts so that you don't miss the future episodes. It will mean the world to me if you leave a review and share the podcast with others that you think might find it interesting.